Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the State Tax Show. I'm Matt Hunsaker. By popular demand, I'm going to wander away from the tax world and discuss unclaimed property. I had a pretty crazy weekend. It started out with some fairly intense whirly ball, and you'll have to look that up if you aren't familiar with that noble sport. And then it ended late Sunday night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I went to a centennial commemoration of the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, which uh, happened in the Tulsa Greenwood District, which back then was known as Black Wall Street. If you haven't heard about this event, and I sure didn't growing up, I'd recommend doing a little research. It is quite eye-opening. I've left a link in the show notes to some information if you are interested. One of the quirkiest things about being a state tax lawyer is that we constantly deal with an area of the law that really has nothing to do with tax. And that is unclaimed property, or escheat, as is often called. And I'm not entirely sure why this seems to have fallen under the state tax umbrella. It may be because oftentimes the same folks at the state that administer taxes also administer unclaimed property. And so it all kind of gets wrapped up together and the state tax folks end up dealing with it. But for whatever the reason, I proudly embrace being an unclaimed property lawyer. It's kind of a strange area in that it seems like most people either know nothing about it or know everything about it. There's not a lot of middle ground. And it's also strange in that states extensively use contract auditors for compliance. What I want to do today is not to give a full primer on unclaimed property, but just give enough information so that if one of these audits comes across your desk, you kind of have the lay of the land. And maybe I'll follow up with a webinar or a podcast series down the road if I get enough interest. The underlying principle of unclaimed property is the common law doctrine of escheat. That's E-S-C-H-E-A-T. My children always thought I was swearing when I talk about a sheet. So I am careful to spell it for you. This goes back to the days of feudalism, and I think some would even say back to the Roman Empire, where if a property owner died without any heirs, the doctrine of a sheet would cause the property to revert to the crown or the state. But here in modern times in the U.S., the concept of a sheet now includes the concept of unclaimed property. Basically, if someone holds property of another and it becomes abandoned, then the person holding the property, 
who we'll refer to today as the holder, has to turn the property over to the state so that the state can return it to the rightful owner. At least in theory. And I say at least in theory because these laws often operate more as revenue-generating laws where money is taken from holders even though there's really no possible way for it to be returned to the owner. I'll give you an example. A state may audit a taxpayer for unclaimed property and find that they have poor records, especially since these audits can go back over a decade or more. So what do they do? Well, they go ahead and estimate how much unclaimed property the holder had and how much they should have turned over to the state, and then they take it. And they do this even though by definition, estimated property, it really has no owner. And so it's not ever going to get returned and it just stays with the state. So let me run through the nuts and bolts of how unclaimed property works. We can't be here all day, so I'm just going to kind of skip across the surface. And so you experts out there are going to have to cut me some slack on that. We've already talked about the holder. That's the person who possesses the property. And the property that we are typically dealing with is money or intangible claims to money. And let me give you some examples. The types of properties that we deal with can include things like bank balances or security deposits, uh, royalty payments, uncashed payroll or accounts payable checks, or one that often trips up people is credit balances and accounts receivables that have not been refunded. And there's also a few other quirky things like gift card or merchandise balances that often can be a big source of controversy. The person who has a right to these properties held by the holder is called, and no big surprise here, the owner. So the question you may be asking is, when does the holder have to give the property to the state and why don't they just give it to the owner? Well, oftentimes the owner goes MIA. They're just missing an action. They may not have an address, and the holder just can't reach them to return the property. If enough time goes by where there is no contact between the owner and the holder, then the property is considered abandoned. And this period of time, which is usually spelled out in statute, and it's usually somewhere around two, three, five years, and can be different for certain classes of property, that period of time is called the dormancy period. And after the dormancy period is over, the statute treats the property as abandoned. At that point, the holder usually has to do some sort of due diligence to attempt to get the property back to the owner. And if that fails, then they have to report it to the state and pay it over so that the state can then try and get it back to the owner. If you are following along and I haven't put you to sleep yet, then you're probably asking yourself, to which state should the holder turn over the property? And that used to be a tricky question, but it's been greatly simplified by a U.S. Supreme Court case called Texas v. New Jersey. And in that case, and some related cases, the court gave some priority rules. And basically, the way they work is that the holder has to first escheat the money to the state 
of the owner's last address. But if the last known address of the owner is unknown, then the property gets escheated to the holder's state of incorporation. And what that means is that Delaware, where most people seem to incorporate, gets a disproportionate amount of unclaimed property. And no surprise, it has been one of the most, if not the most, aggressive state auditing taxpayers. In fact, back in 2016, a federal court concluded that Delaware's audit practices, including its estimation techniques that I talked about earlier, they concluded that these practices, and I'm going to quote you here, shocked the conscience. And for those of you who have been through a Delaware audit, especially in yesteryears, they truly did shock the conscience. The upside to complying with unclaimed property laws, besides not getting clobbered with a multi-state contract audit out of left field, is that if you follow the due diligence procedures, then you are indemnified by the state for claims that the owner may make against you for their property. Now, at this point, some of you may be a little nervous about your unclaimed property compliance. And if so, just be aware that there are a number of voluntary disclosure programs out there that may allow you to cut off how far in the past states will look for unclaimed property and may also allow you to get out of some penalties. But if you do find yourself on the receiving end of an audit letter, please take it seriously, even if it is coming from a private auditor representing the state or a handful of states. These audits can be very detailed, and in many cases, you're probably going to want to have some accounting professionals to help you to work through the documentation and the numbers. But one caveat there is it is crucial to have legal counsel involved, and in particular involved in a way that will make the necessary communications between you and the other consultants protected by the attorney-client privilege. Well, I barely scratched the surface here, but hopefully this serves as a good entry-level introduction to the wild and often exasperating world of unclaimed property. If you'd like to learn more, just go ahead and send me a note and I'll look into doing something a little more robust down the road if I get enough interest. That's it for this week. I'll be back next Monday with a new episode. Until then, have yourselves a great week. The State Tax Show podcast is produced by Baker and Hostetler, LLP, and is for informational purposes only. It is intended to inform our clients and other friends of the firm about current legal developments of general interest. Issues discussed should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners should not act upon the information contained in this podcast without professional counsel. In some jurisdictions, this podcast may constitute attorney advertising. Please visit BakerLaw.com for more information about our practices and experience.